This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest exclusive podcast for members of our Blood Red Club. You might have seen the thread on Twitter from Swiss Ramble that was posted on Monday morning of this week, explaining Liverpool's current financial situation, why they didn't spend as much as what some people might have wanted this summer, and plenty more. If, like for me, it was far too complex for you to properly understand, or you haven't seen it yet or aren't on social media, there's plenty of pieces that our business of football writer Dave Powell has written for the Liverpool Echo this week off the back of it, and we'll have some more across liverpool.com as well over the next couple of days. In addition to that, we've also got Dave on the show for you this week to go through a few of those things in a little bit more detail too. So here it is, my chat with our business of football writer, Dave Powell. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Dave, thanks for joining me. I suppose the the first thing to say really is that the purpose of this podcast is more to review the business model, give people the facts and and let them make their decision. We're not here to sort of pass judgment one way or the other on FSG, which I suppose is probably quite easy to do, certainly on on social media and and stuff like that. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's it's a a business model which comes under intense scrutiny, um, especially after last season. And I think kind of... Um, January's lack of spending help um, kind of quell those those calls for for change, uh, and obviously then the, the European Super League arrives on on the back of that, um, and then obviously this summer's lack of spend it, it, it all it's kind of the perfect storm really, isn't it? But um, in some it, it's a strange one because in, in some sections it's lauded, in some it's um, lambasted. So, um, but yeah, either way, it's just kind of an ex- explainer. This there's no leading either way to, to, to where we're going in. You mentioned sort of transfer spending there, and, and that is where all of this comes from, isn't it? Ultimately, Liverpool, I think, were, was, or certainly Liverpool fans were slightly frustrated that they didn't go out and, and spend a little bit more. Well, that's what we're going to go into, sort of explain why that was as best we can. And in terms of transfer spending, I suppose the first thing we should do is, is put that into context. I think it it looks a lot worse when you put it in, into context compared to, to the English clubs. But I think actually across Europe, it, it doesn't maybe paint such a, a disparity between Liverpool and, and what the other clubs of their size might be expected to sort of spend, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I mean... It- the Premier League's largely been, um, I suppose, not been pandemic-proof, but as much as any you could possibly imagine, any league would be. Um, the, the massive broadcast rights have been able to hold that up, um, but when you compare to to what's been done in uh, Spain, uh, so La Liga's traditionally been the, the league which challenges the Premier League in terms of transfer spend every season. I think that was fifth out of the top five leagues. Um, in terms of transfer spend for this past window. So that tells you all you need to know about when you take Real Madrid and Barcelona out of the equation. Um, the, the the rest simply don't follow. I mean, I, I don't think there's too many teams in, in the bottom half of uh, La Liga um, who would spend like teams would in the bottom half of the Premier League. So um, there's a big kind of disparity in terms of the money available for for, for those teams. And Bundesliga teams, they that spending held up reasonable. It wasn't. Um, but again, there's only really... Um, by Munich, who uh, traditional big spenders in that league anyway. Um, so that co- it kind of, it, it's not really the, the, the right sample size. And in Italy, they saw uh, players leaving uh, big names. I mean, it, it, it's telling that uh, in Spain and Italy, where the two 
um, biggest name players in world football were, were playing their trade. Um, they have both now moved away from those leagues. So um, I think there'll be repercussions for, for La Liga and, and Serie A moving forward. Premier League remains in a, a strong position. Um, but obviously the, the, the issue for Liverpool is that all their rivals are able to to strengthen um, and, and Liverpool have kind of been reluctant to to, to really do so in this window, although they, they did add Ibrahim Canati, I think, who we not all told that deal was probably about the seventh or eighth biggest um, deal that went over the line in the summer transfer window in terms of a transfer fee, but obviously you're not, in, you're not including the fact that Lionel Messi, uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma, Gini Wijnaldum, Sergio Ramos, all those people moved for free and Ronaldo cost 12 million. So it's um, it, it probably doesn't tell the, the full story of, of what the transfer window was. But um, but yeah, Liverpool's spend, I suppose when you compare it to, to, to Spain, it's it's been it's been reasonable, but they don't play in Spain, they play in the Premier League and it's, those are the teams they've got to really keep pace with um, if they want to want to succeed. In terms of the, the top six, I think one of the most interesting things that I sort of picked out of this Swiss Ramble Twitter thread where a lot of, of this sort of stuff comes from, I mean, it's, it's the only only Chelsea really have, have got more in terms of across the, the last 10 years in terms of player sales and Liverpool, we know it's nothing new that they are very reliant on outgoings. But why do you think Chelsea are so good at doing that? And, and why is it that it's such a big part of, of Liverpool's model compared to someone like Tottenham, for example, that you would think surely would would try and, and do a similar sort of thing, really? Um, I think with Chelsea, they've, they've, they've long had a history. They've kind of stockpiled players and, 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 and been able to send them out on loan, gain valuable experience. They've also given first-team opportunities for all that Chelsea maybe criticised in the past for kind of buying success and starting the ball rolling. Ultimately, they have given a lot of their own players um, a platform um, to succeed. I mean, you look at Mason Mount now, um, and, and the list goes on. I mean, they sold Tammy Abraham this summer, one of their own products, you know. So they've been very good, at, like Liverpool have, in terms of... Um, players they have paid a fee for as well they've managed to move on um and the values held up quite well i just think this summer um everything kind of arrived uh, at once for chelsea in terms of they were able to move on the players that they wanted to the market was there for them because they had a lot of big name players with a lot of experience who were available to move um because they you know they're willing to replace those players and invest that money um i don't think liverpool had that this summer, um, if you look at the players who are, who have departed and and who would be in line to depart next, I, there's not a move in there where you think, well, that's really going to change the dynamic of a transfer window. Um, even Nat Phillips for 15 million, that was the, the rumoured transfer fee that, that Liverpool were looking for. Would that really have changed anything? No. Um, I, I think the only reason, only way things would have really moved is if you're looking at adding another two or three players on top of that. So, you know, like Divo Carigi. And, and that's when the accumulation of wages that you're taking off the payroll start to come into effect and things like that. But I, I'm not too sure whether... But the issue you have then is you, you, you affect the depth of a squad significantly. Um, and can you imagine after um, what's gone on this week with Minamino being injured, Harvey Elliott picking up an injury, obviously we've got Firmino injured... Um, can you imagine if Origi would have departed as well and there wouldn't have been an addition uh, in, the, in the forward ranks then um, the calls would have, have been even louder for for some kind of change but um, yeah I mean Chelsea have been very successful recently at that model but they've also 
you kind of have to tip your cap to them sometimes in terms of how they invest that money. But although you look back at the fact that they sold Lukaku to Everton for uh, twenty five million um, some some years ago, and they bought him back for a hundred, so it's not. I don't think they care about whether they make a loss on on that or, or how the optics of how that is. Um, I think ultimately they um, they just needed to get some of their big hitters out the door this summer, and they've done that. Liverpool didn't have a a big hitter they wanted to to get rid of or to to replace. I mean, the the only one that kind of you thought that at some stage last season would be in danger of moving would be um, Salah, but. Uh, given the fact that contract situation rumbles on and, and the only real places I can place him uh, in a normal market would be Barcelona or Real Madrid and they haven't got that kind of um, power at the moment to, to pull that kind of deal off. It's, it just wasn't feasible and so it, it, I suppose the, the window has ended as would be expected um, given what Liverpool could do in it. In terms of the future, then, you mentioned Mohamed Salah there potentially could have been sold. I think, obviously, without the, the pandemic, that would have been a lot more likely because, as you say, Real Madrid, Barcelona possibly could have been interested. In terms of the future, then, if, if Liverpool are going to, to maybe move somebody on, what, sort of what, what's the impact of these new contracts? Would, would a new contract for Mohamed Salah just increase the value of, of him, say, to, to sell him? next summer and, and fund new moves. What if Liverpool don't do that? What if they keep Salah? Does that mean they then won't spend money on on other players? What What's the kind of, of balance between those two things? The difficulty for, for Liverpool, I think, is they have a group which is growing old together. So um, they, they've, they've engaged a lot of new contracts um, through to 2025. So, But uh, I think that has been done from a competitive point of view because they want to keep the the spine of a very successful side with world class players. Um, but Salah's that maybe he's the outlier in terms of um, he, he is the one that you think could command the kind of fee um, that that would would change something for Liverpool. I, I don't think Firmino does that. Um, um, Sadio Mane, I, I don't think he 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 does that either. Um, and, and Jota is obviously someone they look towards as, as kind of being the next um, person to take on a mantle in, in that front three role uh, when someone does depart. Um, but the the market isn't at um, kind of pre-pandemic levels. I know uh, Manchester City spent 100 million on Jack Grealish, but again, um, would that have? I mean, that was that was paying his release clause. I mean, which Villa didn't think anyone was going to match in the first place. Um, but you only have to look across uh, the rest of the business, the Premier League, to see people have probably been a bit more reserved in, in what how they would have spent it. I mean, I know City were interested in Harry Kane during that window. Um, but again, that kind of fee that would have need, been needed to pay to, to kind of get him out of Tottenham is just going to be cost prohibitive. Um, so, yeah, it, it's hard to know really with, with Salah. I think they've, they've done a lot of good business in terms of... Um, their contracts, I mean, and also kind of player amortisation. So all that, the cost that they had associated still with Van Dijk, um, Fabinho, uh, Alison Becker, they, they all still exist. But extending their contract means those costs come down. Um, but the wage bill continues to rise. Um, and the, the issue for Liverpool with Salah is that renegotiating a deal with him means that wage bill rises still. Um, but they also 
haven't really been able to have that kind of impact. I mean, they can't pull a Philip Coutinho out the hat. Like, I just think that that deal signified almost um, everything that was wrong with what how Barcelona approached the transfer market. And I don't think they'll approach it like that again. Um, and I think just paying whatever it costs to get some out of a club is, is I think that notion's kind of dying a bit. Um, I think clubs are going to be more mindful about how they spend the money. Um, so, so yeah, it's a tough one for Liverpool. I just think that, um, I think Salah will sign a new contract because I don't see him being placed anywhere else um, at the moment. And I also think Liverpool won't be able to have the money to or, or, to, to, to kind of get a like-for-like replacement almost because he's a world-class player. I mean, how many players do you put in the bracket? And Mohamed Salah, not many. How many are available and, and would be willing to, uh, or their clubs would be willing to engage with Liverpool? Not many. Um, and especially when you're, you're Liverpool and you're looking at the his replacement would need to be younger um, uh, in order to kind of address that issue they have of, of, a, of a squad growing all together. So I, I, I don't see another another outcome other than him signing a new deal purely because I don't think Liverpool have a, the, the, the wriggle room to, to bring anyone in to replace him. And I, I also don't think Salah has the option to move to kind of the clubs that he would want to um, because I don't think they have the power to do it at the moment. And if he does sign that new deal, like you say, the, the wage bill will continue to increase. It's gone up 167 million in 10 years. I mean, only Manchester City higher than Liverpool in the latest accounts. And I suppose that begs the question of why are Liverpool ahead of both Chelsea and Manchester United in that regard? Um, a few things, really. I think over a period of time, ultimately, I mean, they've they signed better players that um, that and wages have risen um, massively over that period of time. Uh, I mean, it doesn't seem too long ago we were kind of bulking at the fact that people were signing a £100,000 a week contract. Now that's that's kind of middle of the road for, you imagine, a, a squad player at Liverpool. Um, so, But they have also added better play, quality players throughout their squad. I mean, uh, I'm talking the subs and just the, the kind of fringe players as well. So they are notoriously kind of good payers. Um, and part of Jurgen Klopp's squad harmony is, is down to the fact that um, I think everyone realises they are probably rewarded in line with what they bring to the team. So all your, all your, all your kind of key star players um, that, that everything is hinged on, they're all paid roughly the same, um, give or take. And then there's kind of a sliding scale. But... Um, but most clubs do that, you know. It's um, I don't think there's a huge disparity between the the, the top earners and, and and those who don't earn much, but are still starting at other Premier League clubs. But um, the difference between Liverpool and, and and the likes of Chelsea and United is that Liverpool have been successful in the past three or four years. I know Chelsea won the Champions League last year, uh, and I think that will be reflected uh, in their wage bill this this coming year because they will undoubtedly play bonus payments. Um, for, from what I can gather, um, FSG, the way they structure their contracts, I mean, they are heavily incentivized. I think. So uh, the reason they, they're able to, to kind of keep uh, some players happier on, on, on salaries when they might look elsewhere um, is the fact that through success, they are very well rewarded. And that's you can see that through the jump in uh, the wage bill from 2018 to 2019 when you account for the Champions League success. I think it rose from that. 
40 million. Um, I mean, some of that's through taking on new contracts, but a good chunk of that is through bonus payments for winning the Champions League, which is ultimately the the, the most looked. I mean, the, the money that Liverpool generated from that competition was 113 million. So um, they, they share in that in, in those spoils, um, obviously. Um, Chelsea won the Premier League in 2017 um, last. So uh, again, it, it, it's ultimately not it's not as valuable uh, as, as as the bonus you pay for the Champions League because you're sharing the pot of the most lucrative competition there is. Um, but I think that we're going to see another rise for Liverpool uh, in the next accounts because they won the Premier League, uh, and that wasn't accounted for in the last accounts because the season was delayed. Um, so it's going to rise again, and then you've got contracts like Thiago, uh, Diego Jota to add into all that. So Liverpool are going to carry on rising. But you look at United; they've just been um, adding quality or, or adding big wages to their wage bill um, in, in pursuit of success. They, they've not really delivered much in terms of uh, you know the odd um, flirtation with silverware in the, in the League Cup or, or the Europa League, um, and, and Europa League doesn't doesn't bring in huge revenues for, for clubs anyway. It, it, it pales into insignificance when you compare it to the Champions League, so therefore clubs don't pay um, lucrative bonuses for that. Um, but I think given, uh, I think the 2022 accounts will show you how kind of valuable that um, success is to, to the Liverpool players in terms of their bonuses, because I think that wage will start to decrease again from then. Um, not in the next accounts we're going to see, but the following one, um, because also there's, there's ultimately been a there hasn't been the success they've had on the pitch, whereas others around them, so Chelsea uh, won the Champions League. Um, and you would, you know, there's a fair shout to think that Manchester United will be challenging for runs again this year. And if they do, how that impacts their, their wage bill. But for now, it's because the, the Liverpool's success on the pitch has coincided with um, wages rising significantly um, and, and, also, and also, uh, FSG heavily incentivizing their contracts more so than most of their rivals. Um, so yeah, the, there's there's reasons behind it. Um, I, I do anticipate that the the rest will catch up in time, um, but for the moment, it's kind of a uh, a mix of a, a few different things which have occurred over the past three years, which which kind of push Liverpool um, behind Man City. But um, but yeah, I, I anticipate that might change in, in two or three years. And in terms of, of revenue, I mean that is one area that, that Manchester United are well ahead of, of the rest over the last ten years. I think it's about one point four being more than, than Liverpool that they've made. How do Liverpool close that gap? Because I assume in, in terms of sort of financial fair play and, and all of that sort of stuff, that's got to be a, a big priority for, for Liverpool to be able to spend. They've got to sort of catch up with United in that regard somehow. Well, revenues are, are the biggest thing for, for, for FSG in terms of, I know fans want them to, to invest. I mean, but um, obviously revenue slumped last year um, because... Uh, Partly because of the pandemic, um, so it was, it was a 533 million in 2019, and it's 490 last year. Um, but part of the reason I think they brought in Redbird Capital um, on board is to try and aid their development as a business. I mean, because Redbird Capital is kind of their focus is on growing a business. I know when that deal was announced, it was 750 million dollars for 11 percent of FSG's whole operation. I think people thought it was going to be. Um, kind of a license to spend, but ultimately that a lot of that capital is going to be deployed in other areas of FSG's business, um, the Red Sox, uh, and also Liverpool. And, and in terms of growing revenue streams, so you've got the Anfield Road development, which uh, will increase capacity. Um, 
kind of go some way to, to satisfying demand, which in turn will increase revenues. There's going to be some space there to, to kind of monetize as well within the stand. But then you've got things like media rights, um, more content around the, the club and globally. And, and, and Redbird have, have kind of got a history and kind of success in monetizing that kind of content around around sporting teams like they did with the the new york yankees and then kind of the yes network they have in in the states but um it, it's difficult for Liverpool. and while the, the value of the business has grown um manchester united still remains the the, the dominant um english brand abroad um liverpool are making strides into that um but the historical success and the significance of, of, of that brand through the premier league years because uh, ultimately, the global audience has kind of has attached itself to the Premier League years. Um, they're interested in, in kind of things pre nineteen ninety two. Aside from on these shores, is is is, is limited. So um, United were already kind of ahead of the curve because of what they did um, through the nineties and early two thousands. So um, they've all, and, and they were quite good at getting a, a foothold in. In marketplaces before that so you only have to look at the list of kind of corporate partners i mean they've got like a an official pillow provider and and all sorts you know there's they, they've they've really kind of led from the front in um commercial activity um liverpool have made strides in that and, and that's going to continue um the the strength of united's kind of appeal shows itself in the fact that they signed that 10-year deal with Adidas, which is £75 million a year. Uh, on top of that, I think they get about 7% from uh, on top of sales over, uh, I think, a million. Uh, a million so if they sell a million shirts or something, it's kind of 7% per shirt. Um, but Liverpool know they were not going to be able to command that kind of money. Um, so what they've done is, is with this Nike deal, accepted a far lesser fee, I think about 30, 35 million a year from Nike. And then obviously they get 20% royalties on top of the sale from that. So that's one way they think that they can <clears throat> try and close that gap. But then, of course, um, while they may have thought they were going to close that gap on United, United have gone and signed Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, and while that will bring some short-term benefit on the pitch, ultimately uh, that's going to, push United on again commercially throughout the world over the next couple of years, <clears throat> um, whether whether or not people think he's a, he's a fading force or not. Um, globally, he remains the world's most popular athlete by a country mile um, when it comes to his influence and his social media following. So all that is, for what United are paying him, they will, uh, they will hope to get more than that back through whether it's new corporate sponsors, um, shirt sales aren't going to pay for it all by themselves. That's it's easy a fallacy. Um, but they will they will make good money for United. But it's everything else that comes with it. It's having the attachment and it, it will strengthen their brand in, in, in markets where others were, were making strides on, on on gaining on them. So um so yeah, that's the thing with Liverpool aren't moving forward. They, they have the commercial, they've been able to leverage success very, very well in the past two or three years. Um and that's but success now is is important to keep pushing on. United have kind of kind of been the anomaly really in terms of they haven't achieved much success, but so strong has their brand been in in key markets across um, the globe that they've managed to ride out that storm. Um, but they've also realised that even if they're losing, they still have to have stars in the team. Um, so that's why you look at your Cavani's and, and your Ronaldo's and, and and people like that. They they still have to have people there to kind of hinge the brand on they can't hinge the Manchester United brand on Fred and Scott McTominay um, 
they just you know it, it doesn't have that appeal. So um, Liverpool also need to be mindful of the next um, cycle of players they bring in. They need to. Uh, it's all good and well, kind of having you know stars which grow with you. So kind of Trent Alexander Arnold turned into a star, Andrew Robertson turned into a star through their journey with Liverpool. I think Liverpool will be mindful that they will need um, some kind of marquee addition eventually um, to to kind of keep that interest up and, and make them uh, keep pace with with the rest. But United, um, they were so far ahead of the rest. Everyone's been playing catch up for. Um, for years now, um, Liverpool have made big strides on that, uh, and they still remain. You know, Manchester United, Manchester City's success doesn't um, necessarily translate into um, enormous revenue streams. If you strip out the kind of simpatico relationships they have with sponsors um, that are related to kind of their Emirati wealth, um, then they, they they would struggle to hold up anywhere near what Liverpool do. Liverpool's global brand. Cup stems from the history and the tradition. Um, Jurgen Klopp plays a big part in that as well because um, he's so engaging. I think it, do, do Liverpool have such a pillar for Roy Hodgson's manager? Probably not. Um, so, so yeah, they, they've got they, they've made huge strides, but everyone else is starting to to, to kind of get back in the game now, uh, and that success that Liverpool were able to leverage are going to need more of it again. Um, if they're gonna gonna kick on, and that's the you know it's the difficult thing if you need to, money to invest in to achieve success, but they need the success to to bring in the money, so it's very difficult. Yeah, it's certainly a balance, isn't it? And, and just quickly then to, to finish, considering all of these factors that we've kind of have talked through there, and the fact that it's sort of been put forward in, in certain quarters about a big summer for, for transfer spending and changing and, and overhauling the squad next year rather than this year. When we talk about a big summer for Liverpool, what do you think that represents? It doesn't represent signing Cristiano Ronaldo, for example, as a big summer at Manchester United might mean. What do you think that is for, for Liverpool? What What is a big summer under FFC? Um, I think, ultimately, I don't see them, given the fact the age of the squad, I don't see any kind of marquee signings of players who are anywhere near the age of 30 happening um, when they're spending money in the next couple of years um, because they... Uh, FSG previously in their approach with the Red Sox, they don't like having an aging group. They're expensive more than anything um, because experienced players command more money, um, especially when they're 29, 30, 31, when they are at their peak earning power, we'd suppose. Um, so a big sum of for, for Liverpool really is, in, is investing in the right quality of players for the right profile, for the right price, and all that sounds very easy and simplistic to kind of put into action but they will need they need a succession plan in terms of um who replaces these players when they're you know because you can have a group very soon that is going to be near as damn it aside from kind of trent and um and a couple of others kind of pushing 30 some of them into their 30s um and that while you know you that that's kind of a is often a short-term success. Sometimes when you get players all reaching kind of a crescendo together, um, the, the problem is that they are all, they tend to decline at a similar rate as well. So there needs to be, you kind of feel they need two or three, maybe more key additions at the right profile to start that process of replacement. So, you know, like Jota did when he came in. Um, the Thiago one, I, I found um, a slightly baffling move for me and a world-class player yes but at a time when they were adding big money onto the wage bill so 
rumoured to be like £200,000 a week. Um, and the money they spent, it kind of felt like it was something for the here and now as opposed to addressing their needs um, further on down the line, which is fine. I mean, but ultimately, FSG, of course, if, if they're going to be successful, they have to stick to their own model because otherwise they may as well you know, leave because that's what, what's worked for them. Um, so, yeah, I think, that, but they're going to have to spend, I mean, and young players cost money as well to to, 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 to bring into the club. When they come in at the start, the, the, the prices, the, the wages are usually slightly less. Um, but signing kind of a Jack Grealish um, from a Premier League rival, the Premier League is notoriously an expensive market to shop in anyway. Um, Germany is, is tends to be um, where a lot of success is, is found. I mean, you look at it like looks at Haaland, but again, such is their his reputation now. You, you imagine that when um, kind of the big guns get back in the race, they'll be flexing their muscles for him next summer. Um, so yeah, I, and with the Michael Edwards' own future in up, up for discussion, um, it, it, there's a lot of things at play and a lot of questions. I think that people need answering um, in terms of future planning um, and what it looks like. I'm sure they'll have a list of players as long as you're on um, that could, you know, potentially come in and do a job. But um, it's kind of we uh, we see so many players linked, but ultimately they need to to pull the trigger on some key deals. Um, like they did with Jota. I mean, that came out of nowhere, didn't it? Um, and, and next time you feel like they can't, I, I don't think it will, they'll be able to pacify supporters for another summer of of lack of spend. Um, it doesn't have to be a hundred million. I don't think I see anyone advocating them going out, going out and spending hundred and twenty million, hundred and forty million. I don't think that's what. Um, I, I really don't see. It. it doesn't guarantee success at all. I think often it's um, it's an exercise in futility, and I think uh, it's sometimes foolish moving forward. Uh, and I don't think Liverpool will do that to break the, break up the harmony of the group they already have and pay huge wages. But they need to show the strategy, like they did with Canate, but. Um, there, there needs to be um, some real moves made for, for players, for, for people that they can see can come straight in, address the situation, and then also um, obvious kind of heirs to the throne when, when when Liverpool's key performers do 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 call time on on their turn at the club. Yes, hopefully that has provided a little bit more clarity then on the summer just gone and what the future might look like for Liverpool moving forward under FSG because certainly John Henry and co are not going anywhere anytime soon. Thanks today for joining me. Thanks to you at home too for signing up for access to the podcast. Do tell your friends if you haven't already. But until next time, it's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.